Psalm chapter 12. If you have a Bible, open there. If not, the ushers are in the aisle. We'd love to give you a copy of God's Word. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that home as a gift. Um, we are back in the Psalms after uh, taking a break for the holidays, and, and what a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord, worshiping and singing, and there's a reason why we do that. And hopefully this morning you'll have a better understanding of exactly why it is that we do that. And so picking up in Psalm chapter 12, it says, To the chief musician on an eight-stringed harp, a psalm of David. Mind-blowing. Anyone here play the harp? Last night we had a gal that raised her hand, and she plays the harp. And she came up to me after the service, and she was so blown away because yesterday, she normally doesn't come to church here, but she came last night, and she raised her hand, and I was like, oh, wow, okay, well, man, we should have had you up here playing your harp. And she said, but you, don't, you know what's amazing? I said, no. She said, you know what my devotions were this morning? I said, no. Psalm 12 and 13, the very passages that we're studying this morning. And so, you know... God works in amazing ways. She was blown away. I was blown away. What are the odds? And, um, you know, it is not a mistake that you're here this morning. I believe God wants to speak to your heart. In verse 1, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. It's the Hebrew word, yasa, help, save, deliver, you know, one of the greatest prayers that you could ever pray is that simple. Help. To call upon God, to invite Him to be involved in your circumstances. And it's important to understand that we don't pray to inform God. We pray to involve God. Sometimes when we pray, we're just telling God everything that's going on. And there's something helpful and therapeutic about doing that, just kind of venting, but do we really believe at the heart of our prayer that we are inviting God to be involved, to be present, to change the circumstances, to, to intervene in what's going on? God already knows what's going on in our lives. And I got to tell you, he, in so many instances, is just waiting to be asked for his help. You know, as a parent, we know when we have young kids that they need our help for everything. To be fed, to be clean, to be clothed. And, you know, the kids really aren't even aware of how much they need our help. But it's endless. It's continual. And then as they grow, they become more independent and, you know, they kind of pride themselves on being able to dress themselves or feed themselves or kind of clean themselves. And, but what a blessing, especially as the kids are older, when they call and they say, hey, dad, I need some money. <laughs> or uh, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? And you know, as a parent of kids that are now all three, soon to be in their 20s this month, what a joy it is for them to pick up the phone or just text or email or, hey, what do you think about this or that? And you know, 
what is it all about? It's about relationship. God knows what we need, but when we just simply ask for his help, it shows a dependence and and an encouragement. It's not some static, stagnant, transactional relationship. It truly is a partnership. And, And really, I love David's heart here. And he's very concerned because in his mind, and we don't know the exact circumstances of why he was kind of bummed out and down, but he acknowledges something about the time. The godly man ceases and the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. The word godly is is the Hebrew word hasid, H-A-S-I-D, and it speaks of those who are Faithful, those who are kind, those who are holy, they're pious, people that we would think of as saints. Not with a halo around their head, but they are just good, solid people. And what does it say? They've come to an end. I can't find them anywhere. And not only that, but the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They're people who say they have faith, but are they faithful? The word faithful, literally, it's an interesting word. It actually means the, the pillars. It's the pillars that a door would hang in between. And you think about a door, and it's a place of entry or exit. It's a place, man, you lock your door, you close your door. Why? There's some you don't want in. And you open the door, and there's ones that you would want to invite in, and And David is saying there's no more pillars and so there's no more doors. There's no more gatekeepers. There's no one that's standing up to say this is right or this is wrong. Sound familiar? In the public square, that voice has been gone. It's it's an interesting word, the faithful. It's actually also the word for a foster mom or a foster dad. Someone that would be moved with a heart of compassion for those who have no one in authority, no one that can instruct, no one that can protect, no one that can provide. And David is just acknowledging what's going on. There's no one faithful. There's no one that would want to stand and say, hey, this is what we're going to allow in our community, and that's not allowed in our community. This is one who's going to take an interest in someone who's hurting, someone who is lost, someone who has no one to care for them or provide for them. And David says, they're gone. They've disappeared. They have vanished. I love what Proverbs 27, 6 says. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy bring death. Have you had anyone in your life that loves you enough, cares about you enough to tell you the truth, even if it hurts? And you know that voice is gone. In this time, and David is acknowledging that. Is there anyone left that loves enough to speak the truth about what's going on? They're all gone. In verse 2, it says, For they speak idly with his neighbor, with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. Literally, it's all vanity. It's empty. It's falsehood. It's It's nothing. They speak lies, flattering lips. They're smooth talkers. They're agreeable with everything that you say. They'll tell you everything that you want to hear. But it says that they're, they have a, a double heart. 
Literally in the Hebrew, the, the word for heart is leb. And in the Hebrew, it says leb, leb. And you know, in James chapter 1, verse 8, those who are double-hearted or a double-minded man, the Bible tells us they are unstable in all of their ways. And, and so, literally, these guys are making promises that they have no intention of keeping. They're over-promising and under-delivering. And David is acknowledging that that is what's going on. And you think about the conversations that are had by so many, and what is the real substance of it? What is the real purpose of it? And so he's just acknowledging that things are a little nutty, a little bit crazy. And then he says in verse 3, May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things. And, you know, in the Hebrew, it's, it's not really may, but it actually is more of a statement of fact. The Lord will cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things. There are people who think that they can do what they want and say what they want. And honestly, it's, it's celebrated in many ways. Hey, go and make it happen. Do what you want to do. Be successful. And whatever it takes, let's see it happen. And the pride and the arrogance. And yet, those who live in lies and flattering lips and speak proud things will one day be cut off. He's saying it as a statement of fact. In verse 4, he says this, Who have said with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are our own, who is Lord over us? Literally, we have confirmed by the covenant of what we think in our hearts and what we say out loud with our mouths that we will be great and no one can stop us. No one is Lord over what we say. We are Lord of ourselves. We can do what we want. We can say what we want. We can take what we want. We can force, force others to do what we want. Might is right. You know anyone like that? That tongue, those flattering lips will one day be cut off. Verse 5. For the oppression of the poor and for the sighing of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord, and I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. You know, God sees what's going on. He understands what's happening. There's great violence that is happening and people think that they can get away with it. And no one sees and no one cares. And you commit a crime, you can go into the grocery store and if it's under 900 and something dollars, you can take whatever you want and not be arrested. What on earth is going on? It's nuts for the oppression of the poor and for the sighing of the needy. The poor, those who are weak, they're afflicted. And you know, they sigh. They're crying out. They're groaning. Literally, they're gasping for air. And the needy, those who are oppressed, they're in want and often abused. You know, my dad, uh, growing up, there's not a meal that I can remember as a family that we had, breakfast, lunch, or dinner, that my dad, when he prayed, he'd give thanks for the food, he would pray for our family, and then he would always remember, Lord, we remember the poor and the needy. 
every single time he prayed for a meal. And you know, honestly, as a kid growing up, I thought I had like some family members called poor and needy. And I didn't realize until much later that he was praying for the poor and the needy. And you know, it, it, it's partly, he was a pastor of a Spanish-speaking church there in Ontario, California, and honestly, the place was filled to the rafters with the poor and the needy. And he had a heart for the poor and the needy, not only there in Ontario, but throughout Latin America and Central America, and had a wonderful ministry, and he went to be with the Lord uh, just a little over a year ago, last November. But, you know, God has a heart for the poor and the needy and those who are afflicted. Years ago, we did an outreach, uh, I think it was in the early 90s, and uh, uh, Pastor Bob and I, we, we would go to the spring break hotspots. For a while, it was Palm Springs, and then we went out to Lake Havasu because wherever MTV would go, that's where all the college students would go. And they were in, in Havasu doing their crazy stuff, and we were there ministering, and, and we had a, you know, a couple hundred college students with us, and students from the Horizon School of Evangelism, and students from different Christian universities would come and spend their spring breaks to minister to these spring breakers. And we had heard that there was a Native American tribe on the west side of Lake Havasu, on the California side, and they were very oppressed. They had been given some huge government grant to develop their community and park and different stuff, and the person in charge stole all the money. And so we heard about this, and so we took our team, and we went over, and they had this baseball field there in the community. It's the Chumawavy Indian Reservation. And so we go there, and we say, hey, you know, you have this baseball field here, and I'm telling you, the thing was a wreck. There was weeds all over the field, the field was all lumpy, and the dugouts were all spray painted, and we go in there and we just blow the thing out. I mean, we rake up all the weeds, we rake the, the dirt, and, and we paint the dugouts, and, and the people are blown away. And there was one part of the dugout that we didn't paint, because someone in graffiti had wrote, justice will prevail. And so we do this, and then we invite the community to play us in a game of softball. So we play softball, and we have fun, and then we have this huge barbecue, and the community comes out. It's not a huge uh, group of people, but they all came out, and we fed them, and we're all hanging out there, and then we had the opportunity to share the gospel. And as I began to speak... I'm looking at this dugout that someone had painted, Justice Will Prevail, and the people are kind of blown away. I mean, their kids are laughing and we're having fun, and, and the adults are there as well. And I said to the Chumawavi tribe, you have a prophet among you. And they all kind of looked around and said, what nutcase is this? We know each other. We live together. And I said it again, there's a prophet among you. And they're like, what? And then I pointed over at the dugout. And it said, justice will prevail. And I said, you know what? The Bible teaches us that justice will prevail. And people think they get away with everything, but one day, the flattering lips and the lying, double-hearted tongues, they will be cut off. God is a God of justice and mercy. And we went on to share the gospel and we saw many get saved that day there uh, in the 
baseball field of the Chumawevi Indian Reservation on the, across the lake from Havasu. The Lord says, For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. The Lord will come on the scene. And sometimes, man, we find ourselves in difficult circumstances like David. We can be discouraged. We can feel like we're losing. We can feel like there's no hope. But the Lord sees and He hears. And we can simply call out for His help, for His presence, for His blessing. And He will come on the scene. And interesting, notice that He says, I will set Him. It's important to know that I can't save myself. I can't take care of myself. Really, the oppression of the poor and the needy, as much as we don't like to think about ourselves this way, when the Bible speaks about the true nature of the fall and the impact of sin on us, we are all spiritually destitute. We are all born in sin. We are poor. We are bankrupt. And talk about needy. You see, we think of what our portfolio is, our finances, our bank account, and we can think, I'm not poor. I've got everything that I need. But the Lord sees the condition of our heart and our soul. And when we call out to Him, we cry out to Him, He is the one, it says there in verse 5, that can set you in safety for the safety which we all yearn for. I will deliver him. I will bring salvation to him. I will bring victory to him. Why? So that you can breathe again. There are people who are alive on this planet breathing physically, but spiritually they're dead. They have no pulse. They have no eternal life. And they need to be revived from the Lord and his spirit. James 4, 6 says, God is the one who resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And there are so many who say, I'm not going to call upon God. I don't need God. I can take care of this. I am going to think positive and I'm going to say positive things and everything is going to be good. You contrast what men say to what God says in verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words. They're clean, physically clean, morally clean, ethically clean. God does not lie. He doesn't contradict. He doesn't double speak. He doesn't say one thing and mean another. He knows exactly and he's so clear in his word. How pure is it? It's like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Wow. That pure word of the Lord, it's been strained and seven times. It's a number of perfection. It's a number of completion throughout the Bible. And the word of the Lord is so trustworthy. You can put your hope in it. It's not going to deceive you. It's not going to steer you wrong. It's perfect. And he says that he will keep his word. That his word is guarded. It's treasured. It's preserved. In Luke chapter 21, verse 33, the Bible says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. 
You ever wonder why it seems that some people grow spiritually and others don't? If you look at your own life, are you a person that's growing spiritually or are you kind of stagnant and stale? You might find it surprising what I'm about to say. The answer of whether you're growing or not isn't up to God. It's actually up to you. Salvation is a work of God. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. But as far as me growing in my relationship with God, the saving business is Him. He's not willing. He's he's wooing us. He's drawing us. And He also woos and draws us to grow, but really we have that choice and decision that we need to make. You know, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, it tells us a picture of the impact of the Word on a person's life. And we don't have time to go into all of it, but I would encourage you this week, read Mark chapter 4 and the parable of the sower. And which of those types of soil represents you? But at the very end, it's a great parable because Jesus tells the story and then he interprets it for us so we can't get it wrong. And at the conclusion of it, he says in Mark 4.20, but these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the Word, accept it, and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. The weeds and the cares of this world can choke out that seed from growing in our life. So many other things. Some falls on the wayside. Some, the devil kind of steals it away. But those who hear it and those who accept it, it will bear fruit. Are you hearing and have you yielded and have you humbled yourself under the perfect pure, sincere word of the Lord. Is that what directs your life? Some people say, oh, it's, it's not relevant any longer. I love what the end of verse 7 says. You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall keep them and shall preserve them from this generation forever. It's so sad to hear so many who in the name of being relevant, have abandoned the Word of God. There's a man in our church who, he and his family were going to spend Christmas up in in Seattle, and they had asked us for recommendations for a church. And he came back and he said, Pastor Steve, I can't believe it. I went to that church and it's large and there's a lot of people there and it's a Christmas Eve service and not once was the name Jesus Christ mentioned. And not once was the Scripture mentioned opened and shared, nothing whatsoever. Sarah and I were up there for a funeral uh, about two months ago, and and I did a a funeral, and we had dinner with some families that used to attend our church up there, and one of the young guys, he's 25 now, he was a kid back then in the day, and and he said, Pastor Steve, are there any young people that, that still believe in Jesus down there in California? And I said, Luke, are you kidding me? There's a lot of young people that still believe in Jesus. He said, I'm going to church and I'm telling you, no one teaches the Bible anymore. The word of the Lord will be preserved from this generation forever. The word of God is relevant. 
It's powerful. It's living. It's active, Hebrews 4 tells us. You know, I know some people that are afraid of the future. And some have even made the choice, we're not going to have children and bring them into this horrible world. You know, the word of the Lord will endure for every generation. We ought not to live in fear. We are called to be people of faith, not in what we can do and how strong and powerful and mighty we are, but in the word of the Lord and his goodness and in his faithfulness. Why? They're pure and they're like refined silver and you can trust in them and the Lord will preserve that and he will preserve those who have his word. What a beautiful picture that that is for us. Verse 8, the wicked prowl on every side. The Hebrew word rasa, those who are guilty of sin, those who are hostile to God. It says that they prowl, literally they walk all around us. And maybe you're here this morning. I'm glad you're here. The Lord loves you. And he tells you the truth because he does not want to see you destroyed. When the vileness is exalted among the sons of men, no one's there to keep the door. No one's there to stand at the gate. You know, really in this passage, I think it, it brings to mind three different types of people. We see first those who might say, I have the word of the Lord. But honestly, if you do an inventory you're still in control of your life. There are many who say that they believe, they quote the promises of God, I have faith. But let me ask you, are you faithful? There's a difference. The faithful have ceased. Are you an example to others like a foster parent? Are you a pillar that holds in the center, the door. Jesus Christ. So that others can find him through your life. They can find access to his new life, the hope and eternity with God and live forever. In Revelation chapter 3, Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. If anyone will hear my voice and open, I will come in and I will dine with him. And we say, yes, awesome, Jesus, I am a sinner. Save me from my sins. Come into my heart. And we think it's done. We're actually inviting him into our heart, in between the pillars of your body, of your life, and that he would stand there for the rest of eternity. That he becomes the gatekeeper, he becomes the door, and anyone that meets you should see who's standing in the door. What a wonderful picture for us. That's what he desires. The second type, we have those who I have the word of the Lord. Second, I have and speak my word, I'm the Lord. It's all about what I want. You know, it's no different than the name it and claim it. They believe in the power of positive speaking and thinking. And you know what? It can be a powerful tool Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Years ago, there was a book, very popular, The Secret. And it's all about you speaking the life that you want. And that can be powerful. 
It can. Some people say, well, better to think positive than negative. But the secret to success is not the power of speaking whatever I want and believing for it until it comes into existence. It is humbling myself before God and allowing his word to shape and instruct and flavor and renew and conform me into the image of Christ. When I would conclude, not my will, but your will be done. But you know, our world esteems the strong and the mighty, the one that can say, this is what we're going to do and we're going to go and do it. The third type, first is I have the word of the Lord. I have and second is I have and speak my word. The third is this, the word of the Lord has me. How do I know if that's the case? The faithful, this is the one that's speaking of, speaks through the way that I pray. Help, Lord. What a great prayer to pray. It speaks through the way that I live, my life. Love what Pastor Bob shared with us last week, those five words for the new year. You remember them? Keep calm and pray on. And that's when the word of the Lord has me. I'm living my life for his word and his purposes and his plan. Which of those are you? Chapter 13, just a short psalm and we want to look at it real quick. And in it, in these few verses, there's six questions. How long? Six times David asks in Psalm 13 to the chief musician, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? In the Hebrew, literally, how long will you forget me? Pause. No answer. Forever? Ever feel forgotten? David did. How long will you hide your face from me? The face, the countenance, that was being in someone's presence. And David is not experiencing the presence of the Lord. He's all alone. Ever feel all alone? David did here. In verse 2, How long shall I take counsel in my soul? What does that mean? Normally when you take counsel, you don't take it with yourself, you talk to someone else. But David feels like he has no one else that he could talk to. Ever feel that way? I don't have anyone that I can talk to. I don't have anyone that understands what I'm going through, what I'm feeling, what I'm seeing What's going on? I just don't have that. No one to talk to. He goes on to say, having sorrow in my heart daily. How long will my enemy be exalted? Sorrow in my heart daily. He's literally saying, in the daytime. Some of us are fine during the day, but man, at night when the lights go out and the noise is turned off, That's when we really struggle. David was so down in the dumps that the daylight brought him no relief. 
Wow. Ever feel that way? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? To be exalted over. You're here. They're exalted over. They're lifted up on top of you. David's like, I feel like I got a thousand pound gorilla on my back and it's not fun. This is King David struggling and wrestling and crying out to the Lord for help. In verse 3, Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lord, would you please think about me? Would you please answer? Would you please light a candle? I'm in the darkness here. And literally, he feels like he's dying and he's despairing of life. And let me tell you guys, we see that in this pandemic like never before. As difficult as the pandemic is and people suffering and people sick and people dying, so many are paralyzed and tormented in fear, in isolation, And the suicide rate is just off the rails, gone insane. And people are literally dying in this season. In verse 4, we see, Lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him, lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. Here we see the words and the work of the enemy. I've been a pastor now for 30 years. 30 years this year. And you know, I've counseled thousands of people. And I will tell you that by far and away, the most common thing that I hear from people of what they are struggling with is exactly this verse. The enemy has prevailed against me. What does that mean? Someone prevails over you, they win and I lose. And the enemy loves to lie to the people of God, saying you're a loser. You're a loser in marriage. You're a loser as a husband. You're a loser as a wife. You're a loser as a parent, a mom or a dad. You're a loser in school. You're a loser in business. He's the accuser of the brethren who accuses us before God day and night. And that's what he wants so many to believe. And people believe that. And the enemy is prevailing and they're depressed and they're cast down. That is not the voice of God. That is not the voice of truth. That is not the voice of love. You need to understand who's telling you that. He's the enemy. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. Here's how sick and how sad and how jacked up the devil is. The devil loves to attack, condemn, and accuse so that you will be moved. Literally, so that I will tremble in fear. And this is gripping so many people. They are paralyzed by fear. We hear from people every week here in the office. They listen online, but they're too afraid to get out of their house. And this is even before COVID. Paralyzed by fear. I don't want to move. And just trembling in fear. And that's what the enemy does. They rejoice. How sick is that? When they see one tremble. But man, I love verse 5. Why? But. What turns the tide? What changes the circumstances? What changes the environment? But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. 
That word mercy is the Hebrew word chesed, H-E-S-E-D. It's a difficult word to translate in English, but I can tell you that it speaks of a completely undeserved kindness and generosity in the midst of David down in the dumps. He knew the word of the Lord. He knew the faithfulness of the Lord. He knew the promises of the Lord. And he knew that God was a God of mercy. Chesed. The prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 54 verse 10, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love, my chesed, for you will not be shaken. Chesed is not just a feeling, but it's an action. It intervenes on behalf of loved ones and comes to their rescue. Chesed is not a romantic infatuation kind of love. It is a faithful, reliable love. Like seeing when a wife prays for years for her unbelieving husband to come and know God. We've seen that happen. Got a Christmas card from a family in the church and the gal praying faithfully for her husband for decades and this past year he came and gave his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ that's a small picture of chesed it's the parent lovingly caring for their artistic child chesed is faithful it is loyal chesed is love put to action and most importantly, chesed is God's unfailing love that he has for you. I could spend the entire day talking about more of the attributes. These definitions only skim the surface of this amazing, multifaceted, rich word that David put his trust in. I can tell you this, the opposite of chesed is shame. And there are so many people who are living their life in shame in guilt of the past and the mistakes and mourning and bemoaning and it's like this anchor on your sailboat holding you when you actually want to be set free and move forward and that's the life that God has for us. But we haven't connected and received the goodness of what God has bestowed upon us and why he came. He came to set us free. Guys, we live in a world today that is dying for love. Literally. The Wall Street Journal over the last couple of months has been sharing these reports about the horrible fentanyl problem in our nation. Hundreds of thousands of people, young people, many, have been dying. A dose the size of two grains of rice is enough to kill you. And it blew my mind as I'm reading this, and they talk about how it's 50 to 100 times more powerful than heroin. It's, an, it, it, it's a lab-made opioid, opioid that affects the brain. The opioid receptors are found in the parts of the brain that control pain and emotions. And when it enters these areas of the brain, it increases dopamine levels in the brain's reward areas and creates euphoria and relaxation. And when I read this, it just blew me away. Because practically, when you take that dose, it mimics the feelings that one might experience when they are in love. Man, 
Are you kidding me? Sadly, though, it also is absorbed into those receptors at the base of your brain that control breathing. And when you take that, you might feel wonderful. You might feel loved. But your breathing shuts down and many have died. And it's a pandemic. Wow, church. If you and I, like never before, have a mission if you and I, like never before, should capture the heart of the message that the Lord has put in the door of your life, to be faithful, the church should be shining as bright as ever before in this dark time of history to communicate and to uphold and to proclaim that you are loved to the most hopeless sinner, to the most broken family, to the most jacked up marriage to the most desperate situation we can go in the love of Christ and love and serve and share and to see God transform these lives. I love what he says there at the end of verse 5, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. The word rejoice, remember how the enemy, what does he want to do? You're a loser, and he loves to see us tremble in fear. Do you know that the word rejoice means to tremble? But not because of fear. To tremble in joy. Talking to Sarah this week, and you know, uh, one of her cousins sent a family history. Her family has been in the country since the 1600s. And... Her family has this heritage of being Quakers. And Quaker, it's not just oatmeal. There were people who loved Jesus and they were being persecuted in England and they came over and they were named Quakers. Why? You know why? They were so close to the Lord, so near to the Lord, so enjoying his presence that they would physically be moved. Now that freaks some of us out. To quake? That's like kind of getting out there, Steve, a little scary. Man, these are some of the godliest people if you read their history and their heritage. Mind-blowing. To be moved, not out of some nutty experience, but joy. The love of God has impacted me and taken over and influences me and directs me and guides me and I dance with joy. I move with joy. And guess what it says? I love this. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. You know what quakes our heart? You know what shakes us? Your salvation. If you read the Hebrew, it's the word Yeshua. You know what Yeshua is? It's the Hebrew name for Jesus. Who is the source of my joy? Who is the source of the one that should move me? It's Jesus Christ. He is my salvation. He is my Savior. He is present with me. And He loves to change lives. I love his word. His word is truth. It brings life. We live in a world that is dying. People are dying. People are looking for love. And it's you and I, the bearers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one who are to, to live it and to take it and to remember it ourselves and enjoy it for ourselves and hold on to it and fight for it. Even when the devil tells you you're a loser, 
I used to be, but God loves me, and he gave himself for me. And because of this, I love how the psalm concludes. Remember, these are psalms. This is the songbook of Israel. These things were to be sung. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The worship team is going to come right now. I read this, I heard this this past week. A psychologist, the meeting with one of his patients, a man who was so depressed, and you know what he prescribed him? He prescribed him to go to church and sing all the verses of the hymns. There's a study done in Sweden about how when people gather together corporately to worship, it releases oxytocin in your brain and all these other feel-good chemicals and that it actually can lift depression. But we just don't sing like as a prescription to feel better. The real reason why we sing is it's kind of hard not to when you're in love. And even better, it's kind of hard not to when you are loved. You ever sing a song to your loved one? Maybe it's been years. Used to call the radio station and dedicate a song to the one that I love. You ever do that? Kind of nutty, kind of corny. Are there radio stations anymore? I don't know. But you know the heart of God and why we worship and why we come and why we sing is because we are responding to his mercy, his love. Don't miss a verse. Don't miss a song. Let it not just be words in your mouth. Maybe for now it is because you're still like kind of wondering or thinking about this love and whether or not it's really real, it's really true. I'm telling you, it is. And your eternal destiny, your direction of your life, what is going on in your life, in your business, in your career, in your marriage, in your family, in your education, and all that you have can radically change when you simply pray. Help, Lord. To humble myself and say, God, I don't have all the answers. You know what? He knows that. And he doesn't beat you up for not knowing the answers. It actually shows a heart of wisdom. I need help, God. I don't have all the answers. And when we understand what he's done, the only logical thing that we can do, the only real thing that we can do, I love you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. You are so good. You are so faithful. And that is the heart of the Psalms. David was moved by God. He knew the word and it moved him. It, it lifted him up. It carried him. And our world needs psalms to be sung again. Would you please stand with me? When you're in love, you sing songs. I don't know where you're at. Maybe for you today, it's the first time you ever pray, Lord, help. You would humble yourself. The pastors are going to be available after the service. Love to pray with you. Love to talk with you. Love to encourage you. 
But for now, let's sing. <laughs>